Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage, where I take a look at the Royal Asiatic Society Hong Kong, a society that has provided lots of history knowledge over the years, studies, journals, talks and trips, and if I may add, from a purely selfish perspective, plenty of talkers for me on this programme over the years. People of all nationalities who volunteered their time to study the architecture, medicine, social history, flora and fauna, all sorts of topics in Hong Kong. I joined the Royal Asiatic Society Hong Kong President Helen Tinsley, Dr. Kwong Chi Man, an assistant professor of history at Baptist University, and Davina Lee, a lawyer and RAS council member who also looks after the RAS website. The society is very active, helpful to amateur historians and keen for the next generation to join and keep Hong Kong's history knowledge flourishing. I'm Kong Shi Man from Baptist University History Department. I mainly work on uh, East Asian and Hong Kong history in the 19th and 20th century, mostly military history, but not always. <laughs> yeah. Yes, as I say, I know you for military history. So can you just describe a couple of the books you've written? Uh, I have written some books about the Battle of Hong Kong in 1941 and one or two on the Japanese occupation. Now I'm finishing a project about the Hong Kongers who served in the British Armed Forces of different ethnicity, the Chinese, the Portuguese, Eurasians and so on, uh, who served in the British Armed Forces in the 19th and 20th century. It's in English, so will be published in early 2022. Yes. And so I've gone straight into your military side. What would you say with your East Asian studies, what, what uh, aspects that you do that are non-military? Uh, it's still military history, in <laughs> fact. So, but, but the last book I just mentioned is more like a social history of soldiers. So we look at the cultural and social experience of the soldiers there, their experience in a multi-ethnic army. Uh, armed forces or uh, their experience of working with an institution where you have different people from around the world and their experience as soldiers not just on the battlefield but also at home after the war, uh, their, their welfare and uh, the, some of the institutions uh, support they received for example from the Royal British Legion and so on and the Fletcher Associations and their, their work and their charity works and so on. So, so uh, it's more like a social and cultural history of the soldiers experience rather than the battles and the accounts because there's so many things have written already on those aspects so now we, we try to focus on the, the social side of things yeah oh i look forward to reading that uh davina if you can tell me about yourself sure my name is davina lee i've been a member of the ras for about 20 years now and i've been a council member for maybe perhaps 10 or so years and i've been helping the ras by building the current website and trying to to bring us a little bit more up to date in the way we communicate with with the rest of the world otherwise my day job is that i i, I work as a lawyer specializing in intellectual property and i first came to the ras i was i was lured in by a, an advert i saw for a trip to xi'an back in the early 2000s and it didn't disappoint. It was pretty amazing. We saw some things that are very rare, things that are, would be very difficult if you were just a regular traveler to go and see. So that was what initially drew me in to the RAS, the, um, the prospect of a, a once in a lifetime trip to Xi'an and seeing amazing things. 
there was um, a pagoda which was at an Nestorian 6th century church that we, we all went up by foot and then came down. So I think the, the locals had cottoned on. There was a whole bunch of kind of creaky, creaky Western people and then they brought their ponies out and so we all got, you know, you could pay to be, be, be led down the hill by on, on a horse. So uh, that, that was quite nice. That was a very memorable trip, actually. So that was one of the field trips that they, they do at the yes, RAS. Yes, yes, yes. My name's Helen Tinsley. I'm the president of RAS. I've been in Hong Kong for a long time because I got married and came here. And I trained as a doctor, worked in the field of paediatrics in the publicly funded sector, Caritas Medical Center, which is a very poor part of Hong Kong. So I, I, I learned a lot. I came out of the public sector in the late 2000s. I realized I knew very little about where I was living. I wanted to know more. So I joined the RAS and it opened up a completely new network of people and information and sources of fascinating history that this place has. So, and then I worked in the activities committee, then I got promoted to vice president, and about a year and a half ago I became president, yes. Yeah, now the Royal Asiatic Society dates back to 1847, but there was quite a few years in between where it was inactive, but would you say that its, its main time of activity has been 1959 onwards? Yes, yes, it re basically it started off as a, a link with the parent RAS in UK, which was quite a prestigious organisation. And when the colonials came to Hong Kong, they owned a branch, but it only survived for maybe 10, 12 years. I think there was, as often is, there was a lot of personality clashes amongst senior people in the colonial government, and it kind of faded away. But post-war, it was reactivated. In 59, they started reactivating it. And it, it's now been going for more than 60 years. So with a lot of very significant, rigorous intellectual input into what it does. It's also a, an opportunity for gifted amateurs to write down their area of expertise. There's a lot of people who've lived in Hong Kong for a long time, very passionate about what they, they see and, and hear. And they write it down, gives them a platform. The main things we do actually are we publish a journal every year, which is this platform for people, either academics or gifted amateurs. And then we also have activities going on, which would include things like overseas visits, sometimes to China, sometimes to Asia, sometimes a quick trip across the border. So we used to have two or three a year. And then we have local tours and visits as well to places which are um, fascinating mainly. The other thing we do is we support the Ride Fund, which is a trust fund set up with a large donation. If you want the details, you can go to the website to find out more. But it publishes books which otherwise would not get into print, specialist areas, niche areas in Hong Kong, where we feel it's important that this is written down well accurately, rigorously. This kind of publication is often very valuable. Not immediately, but often later on. You'll find that researchers are looking at this at this stuff later on. Yeah, the Royal Asiatic Society, for me, over the past 23 years with the Hong Kong Heritage Program has uh, been a great resource of speakers, but also the RAS Journal, among many other things. Now, Stephen Davies, who was the, the journal editor for a number of years and is still involved. Now, he was making a lot of these, a lot of these journals are now online, so yes. 
that people can so there's some fantastic articles that go right back and uh, decades that's also interesting just just to see um, the historical treatment of some of these subjects going back over the decades but also um, as you say all of these different niche subjects so you'll have you know some some are ex-colonial um, government officers so there'll be district um, James Hayes an example who now uh, lives in Australia in retirement quite senior now uh, in age and um, but he you know he would talk about new territories for yes, example yes. so there's just yes. Uh, yes and uh, and uh, I mean Pat Hayes I've heard on the program talking about salt talking about Narchin why all of these different subjects but it's it's also interesting as I say whether you're a member or not that you can have access to this uh, journal and and look up all of these articles but also tell me Kong Chi Man as an academic in your 30s Hong Kong Chinese what attracted you into the RAS? I was drawn by the Mr. Broom the late Mr. Michael Broom to the society in one of the events about the Battle of Hong Kong. So when there was a talk organized by the society, the talk given by uh, Captain Ron Taylor, who was a, a volunteer himself back uh, in the colonial period. So I was, I just suddenly realized there's such a network of people, a large group in the society which do this kind of local history. I started out as a historian focused on modern China and we seldom work on Hong Kong history. In fact, uh, academically speaking, Hong Kong history has not been seen as a very, very prestigious subject when I was studying in the university back in, in the early uh, 2000s. So most of my classmates were, were not really working on Hong Kong history, but uh, we were wrong. We were very wrong because we suddenly realized that the place was full of history, it's full of international connections and full of relevance. So when we got back, we started to really appreciate, it's my bad really, I got my PhD and then I, I realized I should do something about my own birthplace history. So we found the society and we were really grateful to be involved in, in all these things because there's so many talks and as uh, Dr. Tinsley just said, the journal is a really fascinating source of practically everything about Hong Kong and more importantly, uh, it is a an alternative perspective offered by not always people who, not just Chinese perspective. It is a very, very important inclusion of all these different perspectives from around the world, not just British, but, but everyone around the world. And we can see things from many, many different uh, new perspectives, uh, which is very important for the study of Hong Kong history, because Hong Kong sometimes is being described as an only Chinese or mainly Chinese society, which is not always true in, in this history. So I think the journal and the society is very important in reminding us of the international relevance of Hong Kong, and that is why I'm here. <laughs> yeah, that's why I joined. Yeah. I find the journal very uh, useful because as a military historian, I always want, want to find uh, different accounts of the soldiers or officers who served in Hong Kong. So the journal sometimes contains uh, memoirs, articles, or even diaries of the people who served in Hong Kong, during not just during the war, but in peacetime. One particular piece I find the most interesting is about a, a, a crewman of an aircraft carrier in the 1930s who was involved in a submarine disaster. <laughs> So in, the, in, I think, 1930, I think it's 1930 or 1929 or something. So it would give 
full of detail about his experience in it, uh, how, how did they try to rescue the, the, the sunk submarine and so on. So I've just been looking at that in the Hong Kong Maritime Museum. I, I think. think that's that. Yeah. yeah that is and he's, he's a Chinese crewman or a British crewman? Uh, it's a four of British crewmen, but six of them were Chinese. Yes. Hong Kong Chinese. Yes. So six of them were. So the account was, was written by a British who served in an aircraft carrier that tried to rescue that submarine. So the operations and so on. So all these little details are very, very interesting and useful and the journal is full of that. It's not just that piece but, but also for example there are some subsequent studies conducted by scholars like Tony Benham's work on, on the military history of Hong Kong and so on. So uh, it's a really important source of information and I am not criticizing the academia but sometimes it's very difficult for this kind of pieces to be published by the so-called international journals and so on. Davina on top of your work as a lawyer, you're, you're doing the RAS website. Um, so in terms of social media, how do we get history across in, in Hong Kong and how do we entice people into the RAS? Well, social media is actually taken care of by another one of the council members. But what we generally do is to publish details of the events. And also, there, are, I mean, it's not necessarily RAS restricted, but I think there are quite a few other sites on social media that deal with, with Hong Kong history, including, was it Hong Kong in the 60s, mm-hmm. which is a very active thread. A lot of it is word by mouth. One event where a lot of people, we've brought in quite a few people that are not necessarily RAS adherents or members, is there was one talk a couple of years ago, and I remember there was a little bit of discussion as to whether it would be too controversial, and the topic was, why are Asians yellow? And I said yes, straight away, being one of the, being a um, very interested in the topic and it was uh, an academic who had basically his research is based on the idea of of, of color uh, and including some very fascinating information for example there were these color wheels describing different degrees of skin tone and it was was one of the biggest uh, turnouts i think it was in the helena may and i brought along a few friends including artist friends whose subjects were focused on identity how you how how you portray yourself or how you perceive yourself or how others perceive you as well so it was actually very 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 interesting so so the ras is not steering away from controversy well it, in the end it wasn't controversial it was much more um a, a, a study of how these concepts came about um through sort of anthropological origins and with, with the hindsight that we have now how ridiculous those theories were but how they were kind of endemic sort of a hundred years ago it was very very interesting so Helen, with obviously with COVID restrictions, um, you're not doing your Asian field trips right this second. Yes, yes. People, people really miss them. The, often the numbers, there'll be a group of maybe 20 to 30 people and they're always beautifully organised and very, you know, detailed research. People love to go on them, yes. But what's going on at the moment? What well, we, we um, actually Zoom has opened up a lot of pathways for us. Yes, so we Zoom talks. Yes, Zoom talks, and it's actually opened up. It's it discounts time zones, so you can invite authors or RES members who are based in North America, Europe, other parts of Asia to talk. And uh, it's in fact it's opened up our audience as well. There are RES groups in Asia. There's RES Beijing, very active. RES Shanghai and there's an RES in Korea and there's the RES in UK and there's also a very special group who are Hong Kongers who now live in UK and they call themselves the Friends of RES Hong Kong but again very active with very regular events and we actually share our Zoom events so so would you say that one of the the effects 
of uh, COVID in terms of how the society operates is that you've probably widened uh, very much so, very much so. I mean, uh, going back to Gong Ziman, he, he did a talk recently about his, his interactive map. But the audience for that was tremendous. It was about 100 people signed up by Zoom to hear him talk and a lot of questions and answers and interests. What would you have said are some of the, the special connections that you've come across in the society? A lot of people listen and then they talk and fam looking for family histories quite often. So you'll often get a, a request coming out of the blue saying, I'm doing research on my grandmother or my family history. Can you give me more detail? So I personally cannot do so, but I send it out to our council members and the people I know who've got special interest in that area. Very often they'll come up with some really hard, hard copy stuff or a reference, which is very useful and people are very grateful. For example, we recently had a lady from the Methodist Society in UK wanted to know her about her great-grandmother and one of the children had been buried in Gongjiao. So how to get to the grave site and whether it had changed recently. And for her, this was very important, yes. Today I'm talking with history academic Kwong Chi Man, also Davina Lee, who's by day is a lawyer, but also is responsible for the website for the RAS Hong Kong, and also President Helen Tinsley. So thanks very much for making time for, to talk to me about the society. Now, what I wanted to, to talk to you about was also you were saying about, you know, the various connections that you've made. People can access the journal. They can also have the online talks. Hopefully trips will be at least locally will we'll be up and running fairly soon with, with... We do virtual trips as well. Oh, tell we me do, about yes, that. Yes, we did a, as a Chinese New Year treat, we did a virtual trip to one of the Chinese museums in Vancouver who had got a special exhibition of the Chinese diaspora. And uh, yeah, it was very, we got the curator to show us around. So it was an hour's tour without having to go to Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so we could do like Hong Kong street tours and you just sit in your living room. <laughs> Absolutely. We do about one visit and two talks per month. And so that's our commitment. So we can cover quite a wide range of things. And even if we can't physically visit, we can often virtually visit. You also do hybrid talks sometimes. This is what we are doing, that we, uh, we are experimenting. We've had two or three fairly successful talks where we have a limited number of people in person, face to face, but the other, the PowerPoint goes out by Zoom. And also we can answer questions via Zoom. Now, what would you say, um, you know, we all have our different specialist areas. I mean, Kwong Chi Man isn't just limited to military history, but, uh, you know, I, obviously my programme is completely wide ranging, I'd hope. But there, there's obviously certain things on a personal level that I'm more interested in than others. Well, what would you say? Where Where is your history lean? Because, I mean, you're a medical doctor. Do you find that you're... Oh, the, the history of medicine in Hong Kong is absolutely fascinating. You go back to colonial times and Patrick Manson and malaria and, and so on. And, and in fact, the plague bacteria was discovered in Hong Kong by a Frenchman. There's a lot of information in the Hong Kong's uh, Medical Science Museum. But I, I mean, I find that fascinating in that people were passionate about what they did and they really worked hard and they made a difference to how it was done. I worked in the public system for many years, but and again, I've seen huge changes within that in terms of now healthcare in the public sector in Hong Kong is really high quality and something we should be really proud of. And I think it's interesting when you have, as they say, people via their jobs or via their special interests or something their parents did, they have all of these uh, niche areas. And what would you say is your particular interest? My first degree was history and um, I, I studied in London 
because I was born and brought up in the UK, but I always wanted to find out more about my own identity, my own heritage. Um, my parent, both my parents are Hong Kong Chinese. Are they Hakka or? Yes, well, my father's Hakka. Um, my, my, my mother was Guangdong uh, So, and it was incredibly difficult growing up in the UK, convent school in Southampton. There wasn't much information to be had, and even at degree level, when I wanted to to study more about the Chinese diaspora in the UK, I was told there's no money. You know, nobody's willing to fund that kind of research. So it's it, again, it goes back to what CK was saying about the interest in, in Hong Kong and things that are related to Hong Kong. So um, I took what options I could at university and um, then got the opportunity to go to China. And then that's how I ended up coming to Hong Kong eventually. And the RAS has been a huge bonus for me to be able to find out more about history, uh, about history of the new territories, about why pe- why did people migrate from the U- from Hong Kong to the UK. So in a kind of a bit of a reverse, uh, I had to come to Hong Kong to find out more about my own identity in the UK. So so yeah, and that as I mentioned before, the why are Asians yellow was actually quite uh, an interesting topic because that all related to to my own personal quest to find out more about myself. Just briefly, where does your father come from in the New Territories? Uh, he comes from Shalotong, the famous Shalotong, and he's, he has a very interesting story as well, uh, how he, along with a lot of other young men during the 60s, migrated um, to the UK for a better life, and now he's he's still there. He's, he's been there a lot longer than he spent most of his life in the UK. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. I, yeah, just, but also the, the fact that you are, as you say, growing up in the UK with this heritage, Hong Kong heritage, and, and, and trying to find out what your roots are, yes. Um, so that whole issue of Hong Kong identity and, and the diaspora, uh, which I find a fascinating aspect uh, yeah. about Hong Kong. I think not having Chinese language skills, I can speak Cantonese, but I don't read. So a lot of, a lot of information is closed. So the RAS, because it's pr- pr- predominantly in English, has been a big access into things like I'm not able to access otherwise. But there's also a lot of, I mean, within the RAS, plenty of uh, both Hong Kong Chinese and also expatriate. Half, half yeah, but, but what I was about to say is Chinese experts, you know, yes. who, who will be able to, you know, open that language door for you. Helen, you've been talking about how, you know, I mean, the challenge for any society, uh, in, and particularly lives are busy, is to ensure that you have that volunteer element, that you have sufficient people attending the talks, I think there is a renewed interest in, in Hong Kong's history. I'm biased, but I think there is. But how do, what are the challenges for the future, would you say? I think um, image and relevance, keep it relevant, which means that a lot of it to do with the activities and the academic uh, profile that we have. And to make it relevant not only to people with time, but also next generation of historians coming through so that uh, that network becomes an important part of their resource when they're writing about Hong Kong. How would you say that it's relevant for you? Uh, it's very relevant for anyone who are interested in Hong Kong history, not just academically, but, but also people. Because we, in Hong Kong, we have more people who worked on the populist history of Hong Kong. So they're, they're not exactly academics, but they are very interested in history and they want to talk about the stories about Hong Kong and of the Hong Kong people. So I think the society is very relevant in that regard because it's a very important source of information. So uh, I think the society would become more and more relevant and, and continue to be so by creating or maintaining or collecting more uh, information about Hong Kong from different perspectives. So other uh, different people's lives in Hong Kong, memoirs and, and experiences 
experiences and so on and so on. So all these things are are still very, very useful and continue to be so in the foreseeable future. Now, we've been talking today about um, some of the uh, activities that are going on at the moment. But there's also been, you know, when we look back at the journals and uh, some of the talks that have gone on before, who would you say have been some of the key historians who have really contributed to, to, to the RAS? Some of them have been council members in the past. Just a couple of names would be Joseph Teng and Elizabeth Sin, both very well-known his- local historians and still active in many areas. But... Um, Handing on to the next generation. Stephen Davids and Chrisman, all of them are very supportive to the, to the younger, so-called younger generations like us. And yeah, we hope really we can use the society to, to, to as a platform to, to pass all these, somehow it's a burden <laughs> to, to the younger generation of historians. So sometimes I ask our students to, to join in the society and see if we can really have this lineage going on and on. Yeah. I mean, one of the late presidents that I knew very well was Dan Waters. And what I also find extraordinary with him is the amount of books that I open, particularly from the 90s. And, uh, you know, it's always, and thanks to Dan for reading the script or thanks to Dan for, you know, his historical input. There's some very rich stories and histories out there. And we want to build on what people have done in the past. Yeah, I mean, Dan, uh, just to say, I mean, he was, he was, uh, he would be military one minute, then there would be Wagland Lighthouse the next. (laughs) And, you know, so people aren't one thing, you know. (laughs) Now, we've been talking very much about, you know, architecture or war or, you know, so it's very much a human history. But uh, also, there's plenty at the RAS that refers to uh, Hong Kong's biodiversity, It's, its natural history. Yes, one example would be Sally Bunker who worked with a Hong Kong U botanist to produce a beautiful book, illustrated book, on the um, botanical richness, which is Hong Kong. So and if you look back through previous journals, you'll find somebody has written a little bit about what it was like, the botanics in Hong Kong in the 1960s. So she has that as a base to move forward. Yes. And of course, you have her clones, and who who has been contributed a lot to the natural his, the study of natural history in Hong Kong and so on. And some sometimes his contributions can be seen in the journal and, and previous uh, editions as well. And you have many articles about the, the birds, the, the the flowers, and this and that, and all these natural histories. You you seldom find uh, this kind of information in the Chinese side of things. Not not all the time, but in the past. In the now is much better, so we can see the merging of different language sources, and yeah, it is very good. Yeah. Helen, when we actually go through these journals, I mean, there's obviously all the articles, and this can be uh, a whole variety of historical topics, but there are other aspects, I mean, photographs or, or maps. Yes, yes, especially in the early days, often the military would often make beautiful maps of coastlines, maritime maps, and this um, often have been researched and published but not very well known. So I think, again, a great resource for the future. And it would be good to talk to somebody who's an expert in this area, someone like Peter Gerhardt. Now, with you, Kwong uh, Chi Man, you've actually used some of these older maps uh, and modern technology mixed together. Yeah, the technology really gives us a very good opportunity to, to reuse all those maps because previously when, we, uh, when our publications are more focused on the text, we just write articles and so on, we, we, we can't really make full use of the historical maps. But now with geographic 
information system GIS, we can we can do uh, a process called georeferencing. That means we put historical map layers on top of current GIS system. Layers after layers of historical maps, we can shoot. We can very easily show the changes of landscapes, changes in 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 habitat, and so on, very quickly, very easily, uh, visually. So people can immediately understand the changes uh, without too much uh, trouble trying to, to digest lots of text. So I think this is a one way of redoing urban history or history in general in the future. Yeah. Yes, We have a few passionate collectors who are uh, members of RAS or even council members. So for example, Chris Hall, who collects Chinese textiles and costumes, beautiful silk embroidery. He's a world expert on this. And if you're doing an exhibition, he's the go-to person. We also have another, a, a lawyer, but he's a passionate collector of Chinese memorabilia. And because of a link-up we did recently with the Meridian Society in London, looking at World War I history, there was an immediate link between what he had in his collection and what the documentary that the Meridian Society had made. So they were very happy to be, be linked up in this way. Yes. But he also, I mean, he links up with other collectors. So we had a fascinating talk by a longtime Hong Konger, an American now based in US, who collected cartoons from uh, Shanghai 1940s. And uh, it was a fascinating talk. So that's ceramics, collecting imperial wardrobes, Xi'an pagodas, botanical drawings, architecture, all part of the richness of the long-standing Royal Asiatic Society, Hong Kong. Coming up this Friday, historian Stephen Davis will be talking about Hong Kong's meridian marks on the 10th of December. If you'd like to find out more about the Royal Asiatic Society, Hong Kong, then just type that into Google and you'll be straight onto their website for all their talks and activities. My thanks to Helen Tinsley, Kwong Chi Man and Davina Lee. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage.